Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Meantime, it was chaos today at the Chicago City Council. A Chicago cop with a controversial past is running for judge. Other times you're looking for a deeper understanding of what's going on in the city. Wow, that's so, no one has asked me that question. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts or at wbez.org slash rundown. Welcome to Worldview from WBEZ. I'm Jerome McDonald. President Trump made his pitch for the wall last night. The 10-minute speech launched an army of fact-checkers in the action. Hundreds of thousands of furloughed federal workers remain out of work for a third week. The president meets with Senate Republicans this afternoon. A number of Senate Republicans have expressed frustration with the shutdown. We're going to take some phone calls about the wall and the government shutdown. We appear to be reaching a pivotal point on one of the issues that's animated President Trump's candidacy and presidency. The number to call is 312 312- Nine two three nine two three nine. If you have some thoughts or some frustrations about the facts, the media coverage, the Republicans, the Democrats, we are here for you. The number to call is three one two nine two three. Nine two three nine. With me is Oscar Chacon, a f- co-founder and executive director of Alianza Americas, an immigrants' rights group based here in Chicago. Good to see you again, Oscar. Pleasure to be with you, Jerome. I wanted to, before we get to phone calls, I wanted to say something about some of the unsaid things last night by both Republicans and Democrats. There wasn't a lot of sympathy for um, people who are migrating to the border last night. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, President Trump characterizes them most often as criminals. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people saw something different when they saw children dying uh, recently, the two children who died recently. Uh, There is, uh, I think, a changing thing going on in, in the public's head compared to what we heard last night. It's like two different worlds. You know, the people who have actually cared to take the time to look at what is actually happening, who are the people living, who are the people amassing indeed uh, in Tijuana, and why did they leave their countries? They cannot really make any sense, you know, of what the president said yesterday because it really looks like another world. And I really believe that he does live in a different dimension, you know, than most people. The reality is uh, last night's uh, speech by the president was, in a way, a compilation in eight minutes of all the lies. I mean, that he has said from the day he announced that he was going to become candidate for the presidency of the United States of America. He has kept saying those lies. He keeps saying them. And I believe that in the end, they may well regret. I mean, that this speech was said last night so blatantly away from anything factual. Uh, to, I wanted to say something also about the Central America, and mm-hmm. you're originally from El Salvador, and uh, there is a crisis going on in Central America. Absolutely. But we are not uh, structuring or framing this in any way. We don't even hear about it in last night's uh, remarks from Republicans or Democrats. Yep. It's It almost goes uh, unspoken. Absolutely. I mean, part of the fact is that a lot of what's wrong, you know, with these countries, El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala in particular, frankly, go back many years and go back many failed policies, you know, that we have actually put forward you know, as a nation, going back to the 1980s. And the reality is that it is hard to really get a good sense 
of why these countries are the way they are. Why are they so incapable of keeping most of their people wanting to stay there? So many people wanting to flee. If you don't have any connection you know, to the history of these countries and the role the United States government has played, not only in terms of the armed conflicts in the 1980s, but also the crazy deportation policies that were enacted in the 1990s, which actually brought gangs you know, to Central American countries, El Salvador in particular. People forget MS-13 is not a Salvadorian creation. It's actually something imported from Los Angeles because of the crazy deportation policies that we had back then. And we're still in this same bubble where we, you know, I mean, right now TPS is a big deal for lots of Salvadorans, and and there's a stay on TPS right now from mm-hmm. a judge. But people right. who are who have who have temporary protected status in this country, it's over a quarter million people, three hundred thousand yep. people, yep. and they're all going to be deported by President Trump back to this place that is chronically uh, destabilized. And, you know, that's interesting that I'm glad you're bringing it up because if there is one crisis on the weight, it's precisely the TPS uh, population. You know, these are people, mainly Hondurans, Salvadorians, Haitians. Together, you know, when you put them all of them, the different nationalities, actually a little more than 400,000 people. They have at least, you know, 275,000 U.S.-born children what is going to happen, you know, if these people are not provided with a very meritorious relief to the condition they've been in for so long? You know, in the case of Nicaraguans, in the case of Hondurans, nearly 20 years in that situation. Salvadorians are very much the same. Well, let's get to some phone calls. The number is 312-923-9239. Angela in Englewood, you're on WBEZ. Yes. Um, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, um, I guess one of my frustrations with both the situation with regard to immigration and this president um, is that the media constantly gives both his administration and the Republicans equal credit and equal credit and coverage for the constant lies and misrepresentations that make it hard for people, for honest people as voters, to actually make decisions as to what we want. Yeah, there was a lot of controversy over whether the network should air the speech last night, and people were, James Fallows in The Atlantic was pointing out they didn't air Barack Obama's speech on immigration uh, when he made it in uh, 2014, mm-hmm. I think. In Mexico. In Mexico, and the um, it, for, because it was too political, and yet uh, we get this. So I think there's a lot of people... Who are who are frustrated? How, how have you felt about the fact checking? It seems like part of the problem is you you get all these um, half truths or full true untruths out there, and then uh, you get you've got to fact check everything. Does that satisfy you, Angela? No, because I have a life. I don't have time to fact check individually every single thing that the person that occupies the White House. I and his administration, who gets paid very well by our government to lie to us. I find it reprehensible. That is not, as a voter, what I signed up, what I sign up for. I expect that my government will deal in facts. 
as um, Kelly, I believe it was Kelly and Conway said about a year ago that everyone is entitled to their own facts. No, facts <laughs> are facts, and that's the end of it. You can't have, there's no such thing as alternate facts. There, you can't have your own facts. Well, what's, what is the solution? Should the media um, not allow the president airtime so much, or what, how, how do, what would your solution be? I'm sorry, I but, think you're losing you. All right, well, we'll, we'll, maybe we'll move on to another caller. Angela in Inglewood, thanks for getting us started. The number to call, 312-923-9239. Uh, Stephen, you're on WBEZ. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Uh, the BS meter was, was just completely just revved up to, to 100 last night. Um, I, I just... It's been like this for the entire two years this guy's been in office. But, I mean, just, just to blatantly lie and just put out the scare tactics. And, you know, it, 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 I just cannot believe that we've come to this point in our politics. Um, and the thing that really, that really shakes me is the fact that even in my daily life, I find myself referring to uh, them or the other people or the other side. And I, I just, it just makes my skin crawl to, to, to make – to, to think that I think of another person like that because they're just believing the hype, to so to speak. So it's just, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just almost speechless over this whole thing. So it's the d- divisions amongst us that ultimately gets to you. It's awful. It's awful. It's awful. I mean, I have friends and relatives that I, that I shudder to even have a conversation with these days, and I'm not the only one. I know, and I've heard this, I've heard this, the same thing I just said to you, that a million times over the last couple of years. And it's just, it's awful, man. It really is. It's just awful. Do you think we're reaching any kind of turning point in this presidency? Because um, right now the polls are showing that most people think the government shutdown is Donald Trump's fault, that um, most people have pretty good grip on what's going on with immigration. Uh, it sounds like uh, there's a, you know, most people are are deciding, you know, something different than the president. Well, my wife has always told me that, that you know, everything happens for a reason. Um, you know, 45 is there for a reason. And I think it's to wake people up. You know, the, you know, unfortunately, you know, I, I'm, I've always been an avid voter. I've always tried to try to stay engaged and, you know, get the story from both sides. I listen to you guys. I listen to, you know, a couple of stations on the uh, on the AM side that, that have, that, that, you know, that, that show both sides. But I'll be honest with you, one side is definitely more woke than the other side because, you know, the, the Republicans, when you, if you listen to their rhetoric or listen to what they talk about, they are just, I mean, they're, locked, they're in lockstep. Um, but even to that point, some of the, some of the, the, the right-wing or Republican uh, talk shows, some of them are even calling this guy on some of his BS. So I think we're getting to a point where people are like, okay, this, enough is enough. Enough is enough. You know, you, you know, you can lie to yourself, but I'm tired of you lying to me. All right, Stephen, thanks for your call. And, I mean, it is uh, coming down to Republicans in the Senate. A lot of people are pointing to Republicans in the Senate uh, who are uh, frustrated. There's people in the Washington Post and New York Times writing about them being mm-hmm. frustrated. And some might break away and, and vote to, to move a budget through. I mean, my, my perspective on this, and I really appreciate the comments by both Angela and Stephen, uh, I think that the that the one of the premises that actually brought us Donald Trump uh, is precisely that we have a broken political system and that somehow he was going to come in and magically fix it. 
And clearly that, that isn't happening. And to the extent that it isn't happening, what I really hope is that people hold him accountable for that. Because there is also a danger, you know, that the notion of a non-working political system continues to benefit characters like uh, President Trump, who continue to offer essentially lies, you know, by way of solutions. So I really believe that, that the best we can do as citizens, above and beyond the fact that members of Congress are also becoming fed up uh, with all this, uh, including Republicans, is that we begin to really do something we hardly ever do, which is to hold people accountable after an election. And that's, I think, something we absolutely would benefit if we were to do more of. I'm talking with Oscar Chacon. He is with Alianza Americas, an immigrant rights group based here in Chicago. We're taking a few phone calls about last night's address and a democratic response. The number to call is 312-923-9239. Dale, you are on WBEZ. Hi, how are you? The first thing, you know, that, that got me was this, so I was finishing up with fresh air and I heard the lead in for this program was what I considered the basic misrepresentation of this entire argument. Most Americans are against the wall. No problem with that. But most Americans also want border security. We want controlled immigration, and we want an immigration policy. When you continue to use an inflammatory lead-in like that, because you all obviously hate Donald Trump so much, you're completely misrepresenting the entire argument by not covering it as such. All right. Now, uh, you think that we don't want border security or we don't have border security? I mean, isn't the—what is border security to you? Controlled immigration. Not illegal immigrants coming across every time they feel like it. What about asylum seekers? Asylum seekers can go through the legal process. That's what they're trying to do. If they enter the country illegally, they're already illegal. Uh, Oscar? No. I mean, I think that there is, you know, what the caller is saying, I mean, is basically the result of the way this issue has been covered, you know, for most of the past couple of years, and even before then, to be honest. Uh, Reality is that these people aren't doing anything illegal. You know, when somebody is fleeing a nation because they feel persecuted, because they feel unsafe, because they feel there are no more options for them, what they actually do is exactly what they are doing. What we are not doing right now is actually doing our part. Our own U.S. law, let alone international law, requires that somebody who honestly feels they deserve uh, asylum in a given country to be able to file an application to be considered as a potential asylee, and to be given a response by the government. What we are now doing is simply saying we will gradually allow them to apply, but we will make them wait You know, in Mexico. That is simply something we have never done. And again, it is simply a misunderstanding. But also on the larger question of you know, what the caller is basically saying, we want immigration uh, and border control. The reality is we have actually had plenty of it. And if you look at the data in terms of numbers of people entering the U.S. without inspection on a yearly basis, the numbers have actually been significantly reducing over the past 10 years. So this is really a manufactured uh, perception of a crisis that really does not exist. And this is important for people to understand. We're going to go to Carla on WBEZ, 312-923-9239. Carla? Hi, Carla. 
<laughs> I can hear her. We're probably inside her car or something, and, but we can't hear Carla herself. Um, we're going to go to Gita. You're on WBEZ. Hi there. <clears throat> I'm in my car, too. Can you hear me? Yes. What What's your thoughts? Well, you know, I think that the president himself is so inflammatory and so difficult for most of us to watch and to hear that he in and of himself takes the takes an issue and disturbs us and 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 moves us away from the reality he is not the problem but as a history has borne out so many times with leaders such as him you know the problem was was a climate of fear and hate that has been growing for decades in this country, largely fueled by the Republican Party. And now we have this this person who sort of not just fans those claims, but then uses misinformation as been as it's been very clearly um, delineated by Oscar to you know, really inflame that fear to levels that make it difficult for voters to make any kind of clear decisions. And so I feel like, you know, there there's a, a real disconnect for people, you know, conscious, free-thinking people to be able to even see what the true issues are when there is someone uh, in charge who literally inflames people in such a way that we can't see straight. And... Uh, uh- all right, uh, Gita, thanks for your call. We're going to try to sneak one in, more, one more before the break, and we're going to go back to Carla. Are you there, Carla? I am. How are you? I'm great. But I just really want to ask all the people who didn't vote for Donald Trump why they have not allowed him to uh, implement the policies that he was elected to implement. The rest of us have a vote, and we voted for Donald Trump, and we approve of his policies. We don't think he's lying when he says there's a crisis at the border. We want border security. There's been many, many people killed in this country by people that should not have even been here. And it doesn't make you a racist to want to protect your family. Um, Oscar, do you have some thoughts on that? Yes. I mean, again, I mean, I, I think that there is a lot of people in the country who really believe you know, what Donald Trump said the moment he began running for president and continue to believe until today that most of these people are a threat, you know, to the U.S. Uh, the, the reality is all you really need to look at is data. You know, and again, don't, don't you know, I'm not talking about my data. I'm talking about the FBI annual crime report. You know, if you take time to review that piece of information, you will then learn that the majority of crime that that actually takes place in the United States of America are crimes committed by U.S.-born individuals. Even the majority of people killed in homicidal situations in the U.S. are far from actions being committed by foreign nationals. And yet still people believe, you know, that what Donald Trump is saying is truth. Now, I do believe, you know, it's important to acknowledge, I believe that there are fears that are real. There are fears that people feel, you know, they experience these fears. But if you really take time to look hard, you know, what is it that makes you fearful? you will then come to the inevitable conclusion that what makes you fearful has nothing to do 
you know, with immigrants. One, one such fear is the uncertainty that their kids will do better economically in the future. Now, is that something really related, you know, to having more immigrants in the country? The evidence is very overwhelming. Immigrants have been a true blessing for the United States of America. And if you believe differently, you are either misinformed or you are being manipulated by people who are basically driven by a hate agenda. Um, we've got to go to a break, but I do want to note uh, there was a new representative elected in Texas, Veronica Escobar from Texas. She's from El Paso on the border, and she was elected and believes that uh, the border has never been more secure and that immigration's lower today than it was a decade ago, and she's encouraging people to work with Central American countries to address the root causes of immigration, mm-hmm. and that's right there on the border. Indeed. She has some ideas about that. We'll be back with more from Oscar Chacon, and we'll take a few more phone calls at 312-923-9239. I'm Jerome McDonald. You're listening to Worldview on WBEZ. Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Meantime, it was chaos today at the Chicago City Council. A Chicago cop with a controversial past is running for judge. Other times, you're looking for a deeper understanding of what's going on in the city. Wow, that's so... No one has asked me that question. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts or at wbez.org slash rundown. This is Worldview on WBEZ. I'm Jerome McDonald. President Trump made his pitch for the wall last night. We're taking a few phone calls at 312-923-9239 as the government uh, moves into its third week of government shutdown. With me is Oscar Chacon. He is executive director of Alianza Americas, an immigrant uh, rights group based here in Chicago. And we are going to go to Alicia. You're on WBEZ. Hi there. Thanks for taking my call. Um, This is in response to Carla's statement that she just made regarding uh, people who don't support Donald Trump. And what do we stand for? Uh, Carla, we stand for truth. And the fact of the matter is, unfortunately, Donald Trump is spreading lies. And as Oscar has pointed out, there is no crisis at the border. Um, Immigration Illegal immigration is at its lowest in an all-time, you know, in a 10-year record. Um, It's clear to um, American voters who use their own research and um, information and truth that Donald Trump has an agenda and he uses skewed or misinformation to drive his point home through fear. Um. You know, it's really sad that these untruths have divided our country because it's really hard to communicate with people who don't want to understand he's lying. And that scares me um, that there are such staunch supporters of lies. Alicia, thanks a lot for calling in. We're taking a few phone calls about President Trump and the speech he made last night. 312-923-9239 is the number to call. And Matt, you are on WBEZ. Hi, long-time listener. Thanks for taking the call. Uh, 
my I, I wanted to focus kind of on the media side of this, and um, I'll preface by saying I'm not a Donald Trump supporter at all. But I think, you know, the media as well as the citizens have a responsibility to find truth. And I don't think presidents lying is a new thing. Um, so the media, left and right, tend to perpetuate a lot of the misinformation and talking points. Um, and, you know, that seems to be a larger problem than the symptom of Donald Trump, which is what I would refer to him as a symptom of a problem. So do, do you find the, the emphasis on fact-checking an effective tool for the media to combat this? It's, it, that's where it gets tricky is, you know, which fact checkers are they using? And, and is that you have to check the fact checkers in this day and age? It's just, everything is so politicized on the media end, which at one point in time in our history was what we would rely on to get accurate information. Well, I don't think that's going to change because they have shareholders and shareholders have political leanings. You know, saying partial here, uh, you can't really take everything you see on the news or that the president says uh, 100%. You always have to take it with a grain of salt. You can go back through history, and there's been a lot released showing lies that were, you know, most people don't even know about. And I won't get into that, but it's nothing new. Well, it's just well, what now you- and with Facebook generation kind of thing going on, everything is just amplified. So the stronger the media gets, it, it tends to make – I've noticed people root for their political party like a sports team. So no matter what they say, they're going to go along just because this is our side. We watch Fox or we watch MSNBC, and we agree with their facts. So I think it's a little grayer of an area that people are making this out to be. It's it's kind of tricky. Uh, are, are you thinking that this is going to lead to more disillusionment with democracy, or do you think that that is going this um, frustration with the media is going to kind of engage more people to right the situation? Well, I I I would go with the disillusionment. Unfortunately, I hope I'm wrong. But um, if you kind of look at the Democratic Party, like the Bernie Sanders wing, uh, even Elizabeth Warren, possibly. Um, they're uh, already pretty disillusioned after what happened in 2016. Um, so, you know, whether wherever you stand on that issue of, of the DNC and how they con- you know conduct their primaries, you know, if you really check out some of the, like the Texas Democrats, for instance, like uh, um, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. She came from the, uh, that uh, group originally. That's that's kind of that grassroots already rising of disillusionment. Um, so, all right, um, Matt. Thanks for the call and your thoughts on uh, media. Do you have some reflections on what's going on with the media? Are we are we disillusioning people? Well, I mean, I definitely believe that the world, or what we call the media, you know, has evolved dramatically over the last three, four decades. And technology has indeed uh, a major role in explaining the evolution uh, of how what we call the media has evolved. And I do believe that it is entirely possible, as we are seeing now, to build microcosms, you know, where people who believe in a certain way about reality can actually find reinforcing ideas within that micro world they live in. 
And, and that's a danger, you know, for the U.S., and it is a danger for the rest of the world. However, I do believe that we need to understand that there are some common minimums, you know, minimum standards that we need to absolutely adhere to, if we are ever to be able to have a common base from where to identify what actually causes problems, not only in our society, but in the world, and therefore, what are indeed solutions that we should be thinking about, upholding principles that are principles in many ways embedded in, you know, precious documents like the Declaration of Independence in the case of the U.S. A gov- I mean, a, a Declaration of Independence that was written by certain people in a certain time. But if you read it in a proactive manner, it's universal enough, you know, to be used as a way to actually provide some common ground that we can use to build a society that is fair and that is inclusive and that is indeed uh, full of opportunities for everyone. Aaron, you're on WBEZ. Hi, yeah. Um, I just I watched the Trump um, speech last night, and just as a veteran going, I, I was in Iraq, and I saw the plight of man. You know, I, I got over my American heritage, you know, what it be three generations, and realized that the rest of the world doesn't have what we have. And for us to cut off the rest of the world because of their plights or their problems is just insane to me. Mm. And so I don't, I never, you know, I just feel like most Americans have, haven't left their region to even understand the rest of the world and see the problems that they face and how we can help them by bettering their situations by either, you know, jobs or just security alone. And for to have Trump go out there and just, you know, put out this, you know, fear mongering about immigrants is insane. How, how do you feel about the use of the military on the border that Donald Trump has uh, brought in? Personally, I know what soldiers there, I, I can assume what soldiers there feel. It's, you know, you got to think the people I served with, I swear a third of them were Latinos and they were first generation hmm. Americans trying, maybe even trying to get their citizenship. So you can imagine them, those guys going to their, the border where their country, their home country is. And then, kicking their own ancestors or their own family back it's very demoralizing and as in the military you you're 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 told don't question authority and it's really sad when the highest authority is such a polarizing slash seems racist type of man aaron thanks a lot for your call uh anna christina you're on wbez hi um i would just like to say i totally agree 100%. We need to update and modernize our borders, our system. Uh, But we also need to keep in mind that uh, the Mexican people work on our farmland and put food on our table under crappy work conditions. They've been doing it for many, many decades. Also, Mexicans, the hoodlums, may sell U.S. citizens billions of dollars annually of drugs, but if there were no customers, these people would be out of business. So I think that's another thing we need to look at. Uh, ask her some thoughts on uh, Anna Cristina's th- uh, thoughts here. No, actually, I agree very much with Anna Cristina. I believe people easily forget uh, the fact that there are so many things in our you know, cities, in our country, that we couldn't possibly do you know, if we didn't have you know, the immigrant segment of the population in the equation. Uh, She brought up something so critical, food on our tables. 
you know, there would really not be U.S. agriculture if we didn't have, you know, the numbers of people from Mexico, from Guatemala, from Caribbean countries working the fields. There would be no orange juice. There would be no strawberries. You know, there would be many things that, that we are used to have, but we never think about what are the hands that make possible, you know, for us to have on the table certain items that, again, we grow very much accustomed with. And I think it's important, again, to go back to something I said earlier. If you do take the time to look at what has been the impact historically and today of immigrants coming into the United States of America, the reality is that it's been by far a blessing. It's been by far an asset, you know, for the country. And we do have a president, I mean, who doesn't agree with that. I mean, and who doesn't believe that that's worth to honor and to keep. Oscar Chacon is with Alianza America. He's the co-founder and executive director. Thanks a lot for coming in today, taking some phone calls with us. And thanks, everyone, who called. And I'm sure we will uh, continue this dialogue as the government standoff and the situation goes on uh, over the wall. Thanks, all of you, for calling. Coming up after the break, we will have a chat about democracy in South Asia. I'm Jerome McDonnell, and you're listening to Worldview on WBEZ. Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Meantime, it was chaos today at the Chicago City Council. A Chicago cop with a controversial past is running for judge. Other times you're looking for a deeper understanding of what's going on in the city. Wow, that's so, no one has asked me that question. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts or at wbez.org slash rundown. This is Worldview on WBEZ. I'm Jerome McDonald. Bangladesh's Sheikh Hasina took the oath of office as prime minister of Bangladesh for the fourth time the other day. Shumit Ganguly thinks the world should pay more attention to what's happened with the recent election debacle in Bangladesh. Shumit is professor of political science and the Rabindranath Tagore Chair in Indian Cultures and Civilization at Indiana University. He's the author of more than 20 books on the region. Thanks a lot for joining us, Shumit. Good to talk with you. My pleasure. Um, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit uh, for people who didn't know what, catch up with the elections in uh, Bangladesh. What happened there that is so concerning? What's deeply concerning is that uh, there was widespread voter allegations of voter fraud, of intimidation of political opponents, of uh, the opposition party being uh, essentially crippled from campaigning. And there was even dissension amongst the members of the election commission about how to conduct the election. And in the end, uh, uh, the Awami League, the party uh, led by Sheikh Hasina Wajid, um, won 288 out of a possible 300 seats and claimed that they had won 96% of the eligible electorate. You know, that's, uh, of course, an overwhelming mandate that seems uh, unlikely in any situation where uh, a free election had taken place. Uh, what happened in Bangladesh? Because um, Sheikh Hasina and the Awami League have been... Uh, have helped oust authoritarian leaders in Bangladesh. They seemed like the 
um, the more democratic-oriented party in Bangladesh? How would you describe what's happened to them? What has happened is I think they became so accustomed uh, to being in power that uh, they decided at one point that uh, they were going to win at all costs. And uh, uh, the uh, opposition uh, was uh, significantly weakened earlier this year when they managed to uh, charge uh, uh, the leader uh, of the opposition of the Bangladesh Nationalist Party uh, on uh, allegations of embezzlement of funds and managed to incarcerate her, which significantly weakened the opposition and thereby uh, gave uh, the Awami League essentially an open field um, as they moved towards the December elections. Um, I think there was always an authoritarian streak within the party, but it has really come to the fore now. I wonder if you could put this in um, larger context. Why, why is Bangladesh important? Bangladesh is important because it has one of the largest Muslim populations in the world after uh, 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 Indonesia, India, and Pakistan. Uh, it is also the eighth largest country in the world by way of population. It has a significant Hindu minority, but who increasingly are at risk uh, because of the rise of Islamic zealotry uh, in Bangladesh, which uh, Sheikh Hasina uh, has done only has only taken very limited steps uh, to curb for fear of losing a segment of the electorate and on occasion has engaged in outbidding with the Islamist uh, parties in an effort to court uh, segments of the vote. Um, so for all these reasons, I think Bangladesh is quite important. It is also, by the way, one of the fastest growing economies in the world. And that also explains this lurch towards authoritarianism ironically enough, because Sheikh Hasina has convinced herself that if she can deliver significant economic growth and make all boats rise, then she can uh, afford to get away with the squelching of personal rights and civil liberties, that people really care about bread and not the ballot. You know, I wanted to go back to religious extremism in Bangladesh. And in your piece, you write about some of the funds and ideas coming from Saudi Arabia and uh, the Persian Gulf region. What has happened there? Uh, there are a number of uh, forces at work. In part, large numbers of Bangladeshis who had gone to work in the Gulf and have and made a certain amount of money and then returned, they don't just return with worldly goods in their possession. They are also exposed while working in the Gulf to a much more austere vision of Islam, especially in Saudi Arabia, where large numbers of Bangladeshis work in a range of professions from menial jobs to white-collar jobs. But a substantial number of them when they return, they have also been exposed to a vision of Islam which is markedly different from the vision of Islam that has been characteristic of Bangladesh, which historically uh, was much more sort of syncretic and uh, absorbed certain practices of uh, Hinduism uh, because of the proximity 
opportunity of living cheek by jowl for hundreds of years uh, with people of other faiths, most notably Hindus. So that's one factor. The other is the infusion of Saudi money that has come in with the uh, proliferation of mosques and madrasas in Bangladesh, which and also clerics uh, who uh, have been influenced by Saudi ideas and uh, also flush with Saudi money. So all of this uh, combined with one other factor, and that is the perception on the part of some people that most, sec- at least notionally secular regimes like the Awami League are quite venal and the hope is that the Islamist parties with their austere vision of Islam might prove to be uh, uh, might display a greater degree of probity. Very interesting. Uh, Shumit Ganguly is a professor of political science at Indiana University and we're talking about the recent Bangladesh elections and the re-election of Sheikh Hasina for a fourth term in Bangladesh. How does this fit into the larger um, peace in South Asia? I think when we talk about democracy getting going, taking a hit around the world, people are worried about Central Europe. They're worried about Brazil or the Philippines. But they don't think, well, Central Asia's got a democracy problem. But when you add it up, Central Asia's got a democracy. South Asia's got a democracy problem. It does, uh, because in uh, Pakistan, uh, for example, while they did have a free and mostly free and fair election, and it led to the the victory of Imran Khan, a former cricketer, um, the fact remains that he is not the master of his own house. The military in Pakistan is deeply entrenched in politics and can exercise a unit veto on any number of critical issues uh, within Pakistan, ranging from education educational policy all the way to critical issues of foreign and security policy. So while Pakistan has the trappings of a democracy, the the, um, role of the military in politics is disproportionate and overweening. In Sri Lanka, we have witnessed certain shenanigans on the part of the uh, 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 president who dismissed the prime minister in the recent past, but was then then forced to reinstate him. And the great hope that people had reposed in the current uh, president that he would bring usher in a completely new era in Sri Lankan politics after a brutal 13-year civil war have not been entirely realized. In India, uh, Prime Minister Modi has been displaying increasingly authoritarian uh, tendencies, though he is limited from his authoritarian tendencies by the presence of a powerful Supreme Court, a robust civil society, um, and other political parties which uh, are not willing to uh, cede the kind of power that he would like to wield. So, Across uh, South Asia, in the principal countries, and in, of course, including Bangladesh now, we are seeing what might we might call a form of democratic recession, where democracy is either under siege or certainly in retreat. Does the U.S. have anything to say about this? Uh, it seems like the U.S. was in the democracy encouragement business there for quite some time, uh, but that doesn't exactly do it right now. 
No, uh, uh, quite uh, to be quite blunt about this, uh, since democracy is at some risk here in the United States, it is not exactly being vigorous in the pursuit of uh, democracy uh, abroad. I mean, witness uh, the attempts to whitewash uh, what happened with Jamal Khashoggi um, in Turkey uh, and to exonerate uh, the likely culprits in Saudi Arabia who were, who were probably responsible for his death and to go after small fry who can easily be sent to the gallows in uh, Saudi Arabia for I- imagined uh, crimes um, or uh, uh, have or might have even been involved in the crime, but that that still exculpates the people who ordered that killing. When we are prepared to do that with Saudi Arabia, um, it's hardly uh, shocking that democracy promotion in South Asia or elsewhere is not exactly high on the agenda of this particular administration. Well, let's end on a bright note. And there was something that happened in India recently that attracted a lot of attention. Uh, The Supreme Court, who you mentioned uh, doing a good service for democracy in India, made a ruling and a decision about uh, holy places and who can go in them. And the women in Kerala uh, are certainly taking them up on enforcing them. There was a mass demonstration. Uh, If if people saw pictures of this in the India and in the internet, it was uh, quite a miraculous thing. Um, explain what happened here. Yes. Um, uh, uh, women, uh, and I'll have to be fairly direct about this, and so I should warn your listeners, uh, the uh, rule in the temple, which is an ancient temple, some people argue it goes back even prior to the 12th century AD. It's in a fairly remote part of Kerala, a southern state, a coastal state in India, but it's a highly revered temple. And it is believed that the deity uh, who is worshipped in that temple was celibate. And one has to be celibate for at least something like 40 days uh, before one is allowed to enter the temple. And earlier, there had been a high court ruling in Kerala which had prohibited women between the ages of 10 and 50 uh, from entering the temple because they could be menstruating. And that um, uh, uh, was uh, obviously uh, unacceptable. It was considered anathema. Uh, But then, as you correctly point out, a recent Supreme Court judgment overturned that decision. And my suspicion is that uh, the Supreme Court judgment in part stemmed from an incredibly powerful and vocal Me Too movement that has overtaken India in the past few months, and it was inspired by developments in the United States. And as a consequence, it galvanized women in large numbers in Kerala who formed an extraordinarily long human chain and insisted that women, that the Supreme Court's decision be honored and women should be allowed into the temple. And I think they're going to prevail. It sounds like it was pretty dicey, though, and they, they allowed a couple women in, but their lives were in danger. It, it was a, it's a tense situation still. 
Oh, it is a tense situation because the ruling party at the at the national level, the BJP, and other parties affiliated with it have made it uh, an issue of uh, uh, they have uh, con- they have framed it as an issue of sort of violating the sanctity of Hindu traditions. Uh, and the tragedy is that a nominally secular party, the Co- Indian National Congress, in an attempt to outbid the right-wing Hindu nationalist Bharatiya Janata Party has sort of waffled on this issue and has sort of said, well, we ought to respect traditions. They have not come out unequivocally and said, this is a completely anachronistic practice which needs to end. This should not have existed in the first place and has certainly no uh, standing in the 21st century. Instead of say uh, taking such an unequivocal position, they have tried to adopt a kind of a softer position on the issue, but have not um, forthrightly condemned this practice. Uh, that's very interesting. I mean, you would think that millions of women in the street would <laughs> lead, lead you to um, forthrightly condemn the practice if you wanted to get votes. Uh, one would think so, but I think they're so concerned about a potential backlash in more conservative parts of India uh, where uh, uh, even uh, women take their cues from what uh, men prefer uh, that they would rather uh, play it safe. And I find it deeply, personally, deeply disappointing that this is the stance that they have taken because historically this was India. Uh, most robust defender of secular norms. But that has declined over the last 20 to 30 years. So in, in that way, it's it's a little similar to what happened in Bangladesh, that, that we see the defenders of secular norms uh, eroding. Oh, absolutely. There's no question about it. There's a striking parallel here. And this is true almost a Across South Asia, that, that um, the the independence movements, the secularism that that came in, is uh, is being eroded by the the same people who brought it. Uh, um, yes, tragically so. That um, uh, uh, one needs to bear in mind that Bangladesh started its career as a secular republic, um, uh, but that was uh, changed, and only in 2010, uh, a Supreme Court judgment restored secularism as one of the principal pillars of the Bangladeshi constitution, but let stand Islam as the state religion. So even that move in 2010 was a tentative attempt to restore some parts of the secular edifice of the Bangladeshi constitution. Shumit Ganguly is professor of political science, and he is the Rabindranath Tagore Chair in Indian Cultures and Civilization at Indiana University. He's author of more than 20 books on the region, including Deadly Impasse, Indo-Pakistani Relations at the Dawn of a New Century. Thanks a lot for joining us, Shumit, and good talking with you again. Thank you very much, Jerome. It was a pleasure. Tomorrow on Worldview, we'll talk with freshman Representative Sean Caston of suburban Chicago, and he is uh, now in Congress. He's getting his feet wet here with a government shutdown, and we'll talk with him about that and climate change. He's a big uh, climate change uh, action advocate, and we'll have a chat with him about that tomorrow on Worldview. Worldview is produced by Steve Bynum and Julian Haida. Thanks to Mike Gilmore for engineering 
I'm Jerome McDonald. You've been listening to Worldview on WBEZ. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.